0: Thank you for tuning into Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan Kane. returning listeners, and if you're listening for the first time, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Radio Never Apart is an interview feature started at the beginning of 2020, which launches monthly as part of the Never Apart online magazine. I have interviewed some incredible people in various aspects of nightlife and nightlife culture across North America, including performers, DJs, drag performers, promoters, and so many more. In this episode, I'm speaking with Rosalind Blumenstein. Rosalind is now a social worker living in California, but in 2003, she wrote a memoir titled Branded Tea, which details very openly her time living and working in Times Square during the 1980s. Rosalind's book also documents her social and medical gender transition, and we discuss her thoughts on having shared so openly about that process. We also talk about the New York nightclubs she worked in or frequented, including the 220 Club, Gigi Barnum Room, and Gilded Grape, and how those spaces shaped her process of self-discovery. I should mention that Rosalind's speech is impacted by a condition called essential tremor, which she described before our interview as making her sound like Katharine Hepburn. I don't think it takes away from what is an incredibly rich and honest conversation about Rosalind's life. Oh, uh, Rosalind, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today for this interview. I've been so looking forward to this. I was gifted your book, Branded T, earlier this year. That was how we connected via social media, via Instagram. And I think it's such an important document. It's a voice that there, there's not a lot of record from people that lived through that time period and then shared so generously. And you really do tell, you you really spill it all. You lay it all out there. <laughs> so you were Brooklyn born and raised, but you started going out in Manhattan pretty quickly and to a few establishments that I want to ask specifically about, because I think that they're quite distinctive. I don't think there's anything like them that exists now, even remotely. Obviously with COVID, nightlife is not what it was even a few years ago, but even prior to that. Um, So let's start by talking about the 220 Club.
1: So the 220 Club wasn't my initial club. My first trans-specific club was the guilt-lit Okay. But I'll talk about the 220 Club. The 220 Club was an after hours bar which means starting at 4 a.m lasting till eight sometimes 8:30 a.m and i think i started hanging out there for a short time from the gg barnum room where i was a coat check girl in wow. the gg barnum room um, but at the Two Twenty club, there was this amazing man named Sal, I think I'm going to say Sal DiMaggio, but that might be an actor or a baseball player, and that's not his last name, and I'm confusing. <laughs> um, Sal, they used to call him Sally's, and a club opened up in Midtown that I didn't go to because I was already totally medically transitioned and moved out of that lifestyle. But Sal was the most loving person to people of trans experience, specifically. So the 220 Club really gave a space for gathering for predominantly trans women and non-binary folks, what we call today, or drag queens and butch queens and um straight hustleman, and it was very very eclectic very very seedy and you know people would be throwing down the stairs i fell down the stairs i got a job there maybe when i was 20 or 21 i'm not really sure as the cashier so I was at the front door, and my ego and my issues were so strong, they put a light. So then when people walked in, they had the light shining on my face because, you know, when you're 20, 21, your skin looks fabulous. And Quaid makes your skin look even better, and your eyes look really sexy. And I used to sit in the front desk like I was performing with the light on me. It was just so ridiculous. There's a lot lot of fun there, club, very, very decadent, a lot of sex workers, a lot of drugs, um, and they used to have shows there. They used to have performance uh, pieces and they had um, contests. Um, Famous princess Ava Hollywood, who I believe died of cancer, on the past decade who was somebody that's famous for being in studio 54 gorgeous gorgeous young woman she was one of the 220 originals Uh, brian beloved she used to be tish back then brian actually has a book out about his experience in being a trans woman for a period in his life, and he got clean and sober and uh, um, transitioned. He has a very interesting story. Um, many, many fabulous, Jackie LaFrenchie, who was this beautiful, scary little Puerto Rican chick that I heard Story is about, um, before I met her, but she had come down when I met her, and she used to sing live. She is dead. And of course, I was a Miss 220, and then they had the Miss Twenties of all the Miss Twenties, and I won, so I'm like, I was the top of the is after-hours club. And I'll hold that close to my heart.
0: <laughs> so you, were the, you won the title of like the grand Miss 220 of all the 220s?
1: But I have to tell you, I think they fixed it because I worked there first. And second, I was fourth runner up. And they called it the Miss Gay New York contest at the Barnum Room. And I was so furious. There was fourth runner up and I didn't win. Mata, the late Mara Duval won, and she was ridiculously beautiful, come from a lot of money and privilege, but was a street queen. She's dead now. She won. And I won, I came in fourth and I was like ran off the stage so upset. <laughs> that I came in for, I was 21. And then they had the missed 220s of the 220 Club, and I won. So maybe maybe they fixed it since I worked there. <laughs> they said, let's give this girl a bone. She has mental health issues.
0: So the, the building itself still exists. And I think what I've always been so fascinated about when, I, when I've read your description, and I knew this previously, is it was even multiple levels there was stairs to an, to like an upstairs level. There was the main, the main level. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine a sort of underground <coughs> space that was that big physically. Um,
1: and after the 220 club closed, it was like a six, six show or something. I forgot the name of it. Eddie Murphy was hanging out there. It wasn't big. It was, it was not a, um, you know, as a galactic, as the 220 Club, it was more of a high-end club. But on the 220 Club, the first floor, they had this loudmouth gay queen bartending. I'm forgetting his name. Second floor was a disco with DJs. And third floor, this amazing woman, Jesse, big Latina black woman. You could look out. Um, Sally is hideaway. If you Google that, you'll see a picture of Jessie working there. She was just this big, lovely, sexy, just a, a wonderful human being with such a heart. And in that world, to really see somebody with such a heart of gold, Was so enchanting. You're bringing, you're making me think of stories I haven't thought of in quite some time, or people that have come in and out of my life that have like just left a mark. And that's, Mm. you know, we live our lives, and if only for a moment we touch each other's heart on a positive level, what a gift, what a gift that is.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what I've really, that's what's meant a lot to me about getting to interview people and to hear about these periods in their lives was that it, you know, was often a creative, collaborative, dynamic, organic sort of environment. And a lot of that doesn't happen anymore with social media. Everything is a bit more calculated and controlled. So we're often not just in a room with strangers, meeting people and ideas being brought to fruition and relationships evolving in a sort of natural way. So that was why I started the podcast, but I started it before COVID even. I couldn't have imagined we'd be now where we are 18 months, you know, almost two years later now. Um, So I hope these are positive memories for you, but it's really, it's so wonderful to hear and to imagine what the space was like for you and the people that Mm -hmm. were there.
1: Um, it's interesting because as a clinician, I do a lot of work around trauma, but even the most traumatic experiences in my life don't take me down. Mm. I'm, I'm so well balanced, still have mental health challenges, but so well balanced that the traumatic experiences in my life have made me a stronger, deeper human being. And for that, I'm so grateful.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, you certainly seem to be living just a very full life. And there are not a lot of examples, uh, you know, previously anyways, there were not for younger trans people like myself, of, you know, people who had made it to a certain age or to beyond uh so i yeah i really appreciate connecting with you in this way and and so tell me a bit about the connection with sally's i don't think i realized and maybe it was mentioned in the book but i just missed that portion that it was the same owner you're saying with the 220 club and (laughs) sally's hideaway
1: uh, so, um, actually, because I really removed myself, I removed myself out. I remember when I had my final, uh, well, not final, I'm still probably going to have more <laughs> surgery because, I, <laughs> I, you know, I just love the presentation of a more useful, uh look, but I remember when I was going for bottom surgery, what we now call gender confirmation surgery, and the staff had the 220 were like, okay, now you have to go. You know, you have to move on. And back then it was like, oh, and <laughs> I wasn't prepared. I didn't know where I was going, but I was, oh, it's basically, much more heterosexually focused in my life and my engagements that it just made sense to um uh, not participate in that scene but they open sally's hideaway on 43rd street between 7th and 8th i believe either in honor of sally who died or he opened it and then died. I'm not sure. But was mm-hmm. there was really a club for like there was a Gillette Grape, then there was the Grape Fine, then there was the Gigi Barnum, Room. and then there was Sally's. And actually there was a downtown club, downtown Diva. I can't remember her name. She was a client of mine at the Gender Identity Project and her and her husband. And so since I added her as a client, I can't say the name, mm. but I don't remember the name. And they had opened uh, some club that was um, in the village area. The Sally's was predominantly for sex workers and men that dated trans women or like to ripple up. The tricks of trans women. Mm -hmm. So it was quite an interesting uh, array of people. In the 70s, there was this club called the Bar, the Haymarket, on 46th Street and 8th, where men would hustle older men. And -hmm. then they would come to the Gilded Grape because they would be dating a trans woman Mm -hmm. and hanging out at the Gilded Grape. It was just so much fun. <laughs> <It was> so <laughs> so was
0: I'm I will I'm yeah, I'm glad to hear that you still have fond recollections of it because I know it was a life that was fraught, and you're very frank about that in your book and about your experiences. And so it's certainly not, you know, I don't intend to glamorize it, but I imagine, and you talk about this in the book, there's there were such strong relationships. And there was a collegiality amongst everyone that was in that world in Times Square in the 1980s. I mean, it's well documented, but it was a very, very different time in New York than they are now.
1: Correct. And there was, you know, I talk about it in Branded Tea, the authenticity of the street thug. Well. Uh, You know, where people didn't shade their shit. You, If you knew them, you knew exactly where everybody was coming from. And I've worked in, you know, in the field of politics and dealing with theater people and dealing with the biggest uh, movers and shakers in the gay and lesbian movement before it was LGBT. And... You know, white collar is doing the same stuff as blue collar, just white collar gets away with it more often than the blue collar because you don't have the privilege of being more anonymous because you're just out in the open. So that was very scary for me, and I probably would never survive. If it wasn't for the wonderful two and alls and second alls and quaaludes and black beauties and pot and acid and angel dust. Um, It was, you know, it was an interesting, it was really, if I was an anthropologist, I really put myself in that world and really learned so much that has made me who I am today and what makes me so good as a clinical social worker because Mm -hmm. I really understand on some deep level addiction and mental health and mental illness and crime and you know all that colorful stuff that is underground.
0: I can only imagine and you just have such a You just have such a wonderful way about you. Um, I just, yeah, I can only imagine in your current professional environment and role, the amazing kind of work that you do. Um, Can we talk a little bit about the Gilded Grape next? So the Gilded Grape was another of the clubs in Times Square area.
1: So the Gilded Grape was probably after I was too young to go to the 82 Club. I wasn't in that generation. But in the Gilded Grape, I was 16 because I was going to high school performing arts. And when I knew I I needed to start my transition, people told me instead of going to the doctor or the therapist or the internet, they said, go to the Gilded Grape. (laughs) (laughs) So I went there and I can recall... Being 16 and sitting on a bar stool, not moving my face, because I never really had a pretty face. It was kind of crooked and awkward, but um, I, I still have like the greatest eyes. So you, I, I think st-
0: you're stunning. I mean, I don't agree with that statement at all, but I can appreciate it at the time as a teenager.
1: Thanks. Oh, you- <laughs> um, so I sat there and I just like had my eyes open, looking at people like now moving and now knowing what to do. But they used to have shows, the late Timmy Scott and I won Best Actress um, when they had a contest there. And I won a share contest and I had an Afro wig, ringing gown that the late Kelly had lent me, and then I came out on stage and people were just so supportive, and there were older women in the share contest that were furious. And when, they, when people get furious and they get the great, you had to watch for a knife to cut your face. Like it was really it was a little shady. but I want to name some amazing people that should be recognized. I think Jeanette's still alive. They used to call her body Jeanette. She was the most beautiful, dark-skinned Latina woman who was married to a guy named Michael, go-go boy, not Michael. And there was this woman named Rudy, who was absolutely, they were like the stars. But I talk about in my book, and I want to recognize Linda Roberts, because she was a woman of trans experience that never had surgery because she got married and her husband wanted to buy a car instead of her having sex. And she was so codependent. they got a car. I said. <laughs> I thought if she would have had surgery, she could have made so much money off that pussy, she could have bought five cars. But she wasn't thinking clearly, <laughs> she wasn't a sex worker. But her and Mickey Natalie were the two women that came into my life. That Mickey took me in when I was living at the Baron Hotel on 51st Street with sores on my face, 16 and a half. She took me into her home and Linda Robert, who, you know, later when I started doing my uh, social justice work, when starting at the trans movement within a mental health professional field. She made all my gowns for like philanthropic engagements. And she died of hepatitis C, 2002. She was an amazing seamstress, but because of her trans identity and her family disowning her, She never got to really be the amazing human being that she was. And she died pretty tough life, had a boyfriend back then. But yeah, it was a very tough life for Linda. And I didn't do enough for her. She was like my final mother image. So for me, being a social worker is about trying to give back to as many people that have given to me so freely and mm. generously. So that's when when you called me to do this, I was like, you know what, good for her, good for what you're doing and how you're trying to educate people, and let me support you.
0: I appreciate that so much, and I, I've i learned so much, and I what I hope to do is to continue sharing what I'm learning and also about some of the stories Of incredible people like yourself that I'm connecting with. And also to hear it from yourself and from your own voice is so, so important, right? And (sighs) there's just nothing like someone sharing their story themselves and some of their memories themselves.
1: It's interesting. The Gilded Grape, then Gigi Barnum, I fell into that and then got caught in That's the only, although I lived in and out of my father's house and I tried little jobs, it sort of ghettoized my identity. Mm. And there were many women of trans experience and men of trans experience that would go to these clubs, but would not be engulfed by the lifestyle and what I did other things in addition. Because I was so young and because I had addiction issues, I sunk into these world without really evolving professionally into something else. But what I've learned from so many people, people had, in addition to that world, other experiences. Um, the Gigi moment moments, like I could talk about that place for an hour.
0: I would love to hear your memory about that space, which was a continuation of the Gilded Grape.
1: Actually, you know, I think that was, at least in my generation, in my era, the highlight of a uh, positive club scene that catered to what we would call today um uh trans, transgender, gender uh, uh non-variant people from all walks of life. And um, you know, the uh, Gigi Barnum room had um such delightful energy and unfortunately the populations that it was serving those folks of trans experience that were stuck in places in life due to oppression or stigma or lack of opportunities. So we're talking about the Um, early, early 80s, very late 70s, I think. I think it opened in, I don't know if it was 1980 or 79 or 81. I I don't remember the exact date. Uh, And when we talk about uh, trans issues today and oppression and stigma and uh, disenfranchisement and uh, inability um, to really... uh, be as successful as one would like because of the gender issues and concerns. It was such a high-end club scene. One's base was a long bar where, you know, I don't like the use of the language, cis, it's just not my language, I identify as cisgender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of trans experience. You know, I don't really like that, that uh, the linguistics, because sometimes it um, delegitimizes an identity on some level. But the bartender, I forget her name, character, big black hair, lashes, was a non-trans woman older, very slim. She worked at Long Bar during the day. um, And it was the Gillette Grape, there was a lot of um, um, sex work involved in the Gillette Grape where uh, men would come, or uh, men and their partners would come to engage with a woman of trans experience or drag queen or a femme queen whatever that person identified with, usually somebody that had no medical transition uh, in regards to their primary sexual characteristics, that's where sex work would occur. And in uh, the G.G. Barnum Room, that bar is where women would be sitting at that bar working tricks. Then in the other room would be where they would have shoes, and they would have a dance floor. And then in the big room, they had a trapeze on top of the uh, dance floor. And there were these uh, women of trans experience. Their artistry was that somebody would hold them by their hair and they would spin. Imagine no training they their late teens and were able to do all this artistry on this dance floor without any training and they were
0: brilliant so they were trans those performers they were the
1: women were women of trans experience from queens or you know wherever they identified on the um on the uh, uh, continuum and a lot of gay and straight men you know men that hustled uh you know, older men that dated trans women and gay men, and uh, yeah, they're all all the women that were performing were of trans experience.
0: They're brilliant. You wrote about that in the book. I mean, you wrote about the acrobatic performers, and then and I you included some photos in your book. But then when I stumbled across that article in After Dark magazine, which had really quite a few beautiful photos, and it just it is something that is hard to fathom now a space like that in a place like Times Square, which wouldn't necessarily have catered exclusively to tourists um, in the way that most places in New York now have to.
1: They were very seedy and I don't want to, you know, I never robbed any man of their money, you know. Uh, I wasn't really um, that interested in sex work back then because I was just white trash whore. And wanted to give it away you know to anybody i can so i wasn't really into selling it but you know a lot of people got ripped off mm-hmm. because of the characters that were coming around in their clubs so although we had you know celebrities come there too there were a lot of shady beat up characters and i talk about it in the book where they would hang out in this restaurant on sixth avenue and wait for somebody to go in the club and bring the trick around the corner and then they would rob them so you know that didn't really do well um uh, for keeping that place afloat i don't know how long it lasted so it went from the gilded grape to the gd knickerbockers and gg G. barnum room then when that was closed down, it went to the Grapevine, and there were like other CD clubs that were trans-pacific that I already moved out of that world by 1983, so I didn't really get to participate. But the Gigi Bonham, they had the best, like they had fashion shows. Mm-hmm. And all trans women, like the most beautiful women that really knew how to work it. In my early 20s, I was so unsure of myself and I was so caught up in drugs that you know I didn't really evolve in myself. I remember we were auditioning for a movie, it was called Vera and it was at the Gigi Bonham Room. It was Vera, the woman of the '80s. It was going to be the guy, the redhead from the Partridge Family, who got arrested for beating up a trans sex worker. One at one point, wow. um, he was the he was there on stage. I have a picture of him and me. I was auditioning and I did the song. Um, from theme from Valley of the Dolls, and I remember that. I was, like, sitting down like this, all scared. So I must have been, like, 21. So many different things happened there that could have. So many spectacular people with mm-hmm. such talents. The late Mara Duval, she was such a beauty, um, there was a, a, a Spanish woman named Jeanette and Marudi. I mean, it really was an exciting place to be, but it was also a place where the fantasy of life became your reality. Mm-hmm. So you got stuck in just being in a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people got stuck in that in the disco era, mm-hmm. you know, just a lot of drugs, a lot of, uh, you know, some sad stuff, too. I remember this woman, Sonia Babo Sonia, which means blue beard. It's horrible. Boyfriend lucky. Why am I remembering these names? It's crazy. I slept with him because I really didn't have any boundaries. I must have been 17. And she came with acid to throw acid in my face. And I remember I was in overalls and she was punching me on uh, the pinball machine and they took her off me. Um, thank God she didn't throw the acid on my face, but I didn't even really think it was wrong. Like no boundaries like, oh, he's cute. He likes me. We sleep together. I'm not stealing him. I just borrowed it. Totally and. The insanity. And this one woman, Stephanie, who got stabbed outside the Barnum room and was paralyzed for life from the waist down. I was working in the coat check and she found a coat ticket and it was her fur coat. And She just came to the desk. She told me this like years later when I went to visit her that she got a fur coat. You know, I don't even remember somebody coming saying, where's my fur coat? Like, I must have been so high myself. It's just wild. It was just a wild scene with fabulousness and lots of drugs. And this is like right before people were talking about an AIDS epidemic, you Mm know. Um, Such an interesting place shows and you know ball you know contests and um and they filmed uh, I will survive glory Gaynor came there to perform her song they filmed it on uh, on the trapeze but the language that they used in like the village voice is something with, like oh these transvestites and they were mm-hmm. they were trans women predominantly women of transsexual experience, not transgender. To me, transgender is a different kind of identity, but women of transsexual experience, no, nothing's better or less. It's just a different experience and a different journey back then where most of, there were drag queens and femme queens, and uh, um, for most of the women of trans experience, really just wanting back then and that's where where there was a lot of sadness and suicidal ideation because many of the trans women that really enjoyed their primary sexual characteristics would have a surgical procedure because they thought they had to in order to be identified as a woman. Mm -hmm. Which now we know that's not the case. Many women have penises. Many men have vaginas. And people are doing what's more comfortable and what's more realistic and have a better quality of life. But back then, it was really, if you wanted to be this, this is the journey you would go. And Mm -hmm. once you got that, you really didn't belong in the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like, and then if you came back in the scene, they would be like, "What's wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. You know, like go to a different life. You know, it's just so colorful, so much fun—a rough life, but it was the highlight of the trans clubs. And I know people would talk about, like, there used to be a club, the Eighty Two Club. It was before my day there were performers but this was the club that was the highlight of the trans experience in a place that was really about celebrating and coming you know dressed and meeting all kinds of people and dating you know it was very well for me because it was very heteronormative Mm because you know i was like i present as female and i'm looking for men and there were some really uh, God, I don't even remember their names. There were so many of them. Ridiculous, ridiculous. So well, and was
0: it, it looked like such an incredible space, like really just dynamic. I mean, um, yeah, it, I'm I'm really glad we got to talk a little bit about that because it seemed sort of like an evolution that built up to from the different spaces. That being something that was really sort of significant just in terms of the scale of it and the type of place it was and all the different things it offered i mean
1: that was the highlight and then the last clubs that i know of was the grapevine on 47th street between the 7th and broadway and sally's hideaway that was really a dive Mm -hmm. it was a real dive but it was really where You know, there was a celebration of community there, too, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, and
1: it's funny because I moved out of that experience, but I wound up a block away working at Show World as a, a booth baby for 11 years. I should have got a 401k from that. I spent 11 years in and out of booths, stuck in the stupid
0: well, you detail it really poignantly. I mean, I just think you talk about it in such an honest and open way in your book. And I hope that this maybe inspires people to want to read it and to learn a little bit more about just the the world that existed there. Because I also don't think that there's a lot of information out there, for the most part, about places like the Gigi Barnum Room uh, or the Grapevine. I mean, many of these clubs. And then just the whole experience of working in Times Square all through that time period. That's why, you know, I was gifted your book was just because it's such a unique perspective and so detailed and really, um, it's really gracious of you to share about it.
1: You know, it's funny. I went to New York, I forgot when they first started in the summer where they have tables out on 7th Avenue or Broadway. And although that was beautiful, I was like, wow, no cars and you get to drink coffee. Times Square in the 70s and 80s was the bomb it was so seedy and scary and colorful and fearful and energized which oh my god it was if you survive it it was just great it was a great was an, i mean i wouldn't change that experience i mean whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger but it was just such a different 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 moral. The deuced sort of get to what's his, his name's uh, series. He had the Deuce on HBO. Yeah. I'm forgetting his name. But he didn't have a lot of trans characters in that. Yeah. And there were beautiful trans women all over the deuce he really he really should have celebrated the authenticity of I think he had like one person that looked really muscular and I'm not saying you can't be a muscular or trans character but they were like beauties yeah I mean it was like um Madonna walking down 42nd street because you know Women of Trans Experience, back then, we really bought into that ultra femme. You know, the Latinx community still do that. I work for the Latin uh, Trans Coalition. But yeah, New York was fun. And you are a delight. Your energy is just beautiful, my dear.
0: Thank you. Same to you. I I know we're gonna stay in contact. It's really, um. it's just been such a pleasure. I wanna thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Rosalind and that it offered a lens onto the world that shaped her. I found her details and descriptions of the nightclubs and Rosalind's memories of the people she knew during that time to be so incredible. So sincere thank you, Rosalind, for sharing so openly and graciously with me in this interview. As of October 2021, we have launched new fall exhibitions at center Never Apart in Montreal's Mile X neighborhood. You can visit the center every Saturday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. And for all the information on this, visit our website, neverapart.com, or find us on social channels at neverapartmtl. Be sure to leave a comment or review on whichever platform you're listening through, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And you can find me on Instagram at jordankingarchive.